0: Thank you for choosing this Dream Center podcast. Don't forget to subscribe for further updates. One thing is for sure. The choices we make will dictate the futures that we have. You know that? You know, even when you're reading in the Old Testament and the Lord declares, he says in his word, doesn't he? See, I lay before you today life and death. Choose life. There's always an option. There's always a choice. But you know, at times we make choices that are educated choices. We know what we're doing. We know the upside, we know the downside, and there's other times we don't have all of the information and we kind of plunge in the dark, don't we? And we sometimes get it right, we sometimes get it wrong. But even when we get it wrong, we can't live our life on knee-jerk reactions trying to fix it and pull it all back. You know that? You know that, don't you? Knee-jerk reactions won't just fix it. But the choices we make will determine our futures. The same way financially, there is no standalone or individual financial decision, meaning if there's Dawn and she spends all her housekeeping on uh, Jimmy Choo's shoes and Marcus comes along and says, where's me tea? And she goes like this. <laughs> if you spend all of your money on one thing, there's no money left to do the stuff you should be doing. And it's the same way with the choices that we make, isn't it? We push forward. Now, Pastor Tony started last week He touched on an area and it was very, in some ways, it's a controversial subject to even talk about because we shouldn't be it. Are we people of faith? Are we people of the word? But Pastor Tony last week started to touch on a subject that says, why is the church powerless or why has the church lost its power? Now, that's not all being negative. This is being in a position where we can address it so we can move to where we should be. Is that right? But again, as we said, the choices we make will be uh, the determination of where we move forward in the, in the in the future. You know, the process we have is finding out, as Pastor said last week, if we find out why it doesn't work, we can find out why it can work. Yes? And he talked about, if you remember the illustration of the car and trying to turn it over, and then you go to the garage and you get the job done, and Phil always bails him out. Do you remember the Phil always bails him out? You remember that bit last week? Phil always bails him out. What happened on Thursday? Was it, was it Thursday? Yeah, his car's still outside my house, waiting. So we're now charging him storage as well as a towing fee. It's the way that it comes through. But do you know what? God's desire is that the church moves, lives and breathes in power. Do you know that? It's not something that's a pipe dream. It's not something that's for the higher echelon. It's not for the ones who are special. It's for every single one of us to be able to tap into those dimensions. Do you know that? No, but do you know that? See, we can say it and you can agree with me because you feel like you're all in the classroom now and you'll just agree with Phil. Phil says yes. That's the bit I'm supposed to nod. Do a shake me head at this bit. Which way? We have power. The church was, it was conceived in power. It was birthed in power. It, only when it came to maturity did it fall over. And God wants to reinstate what he's always done. But you know the thing is, the greatest power that God wants to instigate into the body of Jesus Christ is a changed life. The greatest power is a changed life. And you realise that a changed life is the only thing that the enemy cannot counterfeit. It can counterfeit a miracle. It can counterfeit a deliverance. It can counterfeit a speaking in tongues. But what he can't counterfeit is a life that he's walking in the light. And those lives, those kind of lives are so powerful, that's what changes communities. That's what changes uh, individuals. It uh, changes homes. It's the people of the youth that already said this moment. They become the agents of change. Why? Because it's that power that you hold in your life. You see, the thing is that we forget so many times, and I'm not going to teach you to suck eggs this morning, but some truths that come through is that when we become born again, God instantaneously deals with our sin nature. That's why we become new creations. Our sin nature is dealt with. It's your job and my job to deal with sin habit. And that's where we fall over. And when I say we, I mean me. Because when I become responsible for how I live, how I move things forward, that's when I start to get in a little bit of a quandary myself. Because that's the bit I don't like. That's the bit called process. Process. And in process, he wants to deal with us, he wants to, t- uh, to change us, he imparts the word into us. Pastor Tony said to us last week, encouraged us, and I hope that we did it, to pray through Ephesians 1 last week. Start to see how we can have the heart of understanding, how wisdom comes. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that, me, so that you may know the hope to which you've been called to. And the glorious inheritance that we have in the saints. Well, I'm glad all four of you read that one. We get hold of it and start to push it through, but it's the process that takes time, and it's the process that I don't like dealing with. You know, we learn a great, great, awesome piece of power technology last time we had Building in the Spirit. The learn the power of yes and amen. Now, if you remember something from the Building in the Spirit as we carried it through, There was something where we read from the scripture how the Holy Spirit intercedes daily on your behalf with words that no man can express. It's the groanings of the Holy Spirit. Is that right? Is that Bible? The Bible also turns around and says that Jesus Christ intercedes for you and I before the Father. Is that correct? So we've got two thirds of the Godhead praying and interceding on your behalf. And we learn to say, when I can wake up in the morning or in my life, God, you've been praying over me. I say yes and amen. What you're declaring on my life, I say yes and let it be. Yes. It wasn't the Beatles who said let it be. It was right here in the New Testament when God turns around and said yes and amen. And the amen is spoken by us even when you know when we we saw out we don't pray your selfish prayers with a big shopping list this is all about me and blah 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 and this is what i want and all that stuff But on your behalf and on my behalf, the Holy Spirit and Jesus are interceding on a daily basis because he wants the best for Chris. He wants the best for, for Shirley. He wants the best for every individual to turn around and say, this is what I'm declaring over your life. You will be an agent of change. You will be a carrier of my glory. You will walk into the light. You will be able to break that. You will be able to see things shaken off. You know, this scripture turns around and it tells us in Isaiah 61 and verses 1 and 2. Kath was actually praying it before in the midst of the meeting. It said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to captives and freedom for prisoners. To proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn. Isaiah 61 verses 1 and 2. But this is what it says about liberty for the captives. It says that a captive is such such as a prisoner of war who is forcibly confined or enslaved against their will. Are you a captive this morning? Have you been enslaved against your will? Something took hold of you and held you back. Maybe it's your history. Maybe it's your past. It's the way your parents brought you up. It's the way your husband or the wife dealt with you. It's every day when you're going to work, you always feel enslaved. You feel that you can never break out of those situations. Well, in Isaiah 61 says, the spirit of the Lord breaks us free from that. It even goes on to say this, that a captive is one who is in the grip of a strong emotion. Are you held a captive to your emotions this morning? Because he turns around and says, as the church is moving in power, as God is starting to move us into the light, even your emotions won't hold you. Do you know, I've been around church long enough to know that one of the biggest stones in the shoe for any people that move forward is the area of our emotions and the area of our soul. I feel hurt, I feel let down, I feel neglected. um, I don't want to forgive that person. Whatever it is, we hold something and then we try and play it into the light and into the dark. It's not dark enough to be sin, but it's not light enough to be let go of. Do you know what I mean? Do you play that kind of game? It's like an okie koke, isn't it? You're all right today, you're not all right tomorrow. We move backwards and forwards. But then it also said uh, the freedom for the prisoner. A person is a prisoner who is in custody, captivity, on the condition of serving a prison sentence. Are you guilty of what you've done in your life? Yes. But God turns around and says, even though you're guilty, I'm saying it's time to be set free. Well, thank you for that underwhelming response. Now you see, this is part of the process of why we lose the power in our lives. We lose the power in our lives because God starts to declare things to us, and he said, your emotions don't have to hold you. Your background doesn't have to hold you. Your history doesn't have to hold you. And even though you can be chief of sinners, like Paul says, hey look, there was nobody worse than me. Hey, I was the one who even persecuted the church, took them to death. Look at me, there's nobody worse than me. He called himself the chief of sinners, but yet could declare how God had Set him free, how he came all the way through the cross. Amen? Because it's the power that's there to change lives and see us transformed. You know, the whole thing is this process of being captives and prisoners. See, God had this dealing with people that if you take the Old Testament and you start to read its history without getting too deep into all of these things, is that when the people of Israel turned their hearts away from God, God said, Right, I'm going to give you a warning. And if you carry on your behaviour that you're doing, I'm going to put you into captivity. So he turns around and says to the people, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put you in Babylon. I've told you, I've told you, I've told you, I've warned you and I've warned you. And he put them into captivity. Now in that place of captivity, it was meant to teach Israel a lesson that they turn around and say, our hearts are so much yearning after God that all we want is God back. But do you know what happened? They went into captivity and the Israelites went, this is dead good. This is really good, that when you actually look at the story of them coming back out of captivity, the majority of people wanted to stay. They had to get pointy sticks and point them and say, you better go back to God. People liked it where they were. They created such an environment where they went, Babylon's all right. Look around, don't shout it from the rooftops, but life's all right outside of this God bit. But if we want to be a people that's going to see the transformation, if we're going to be the agents of change, then we have to let Babylon gone go and move back to what he's calling us to do. See, because it's something really, really simple this morning, the message that comes through. And that is Christ is trying to build his life in you and in me. But the truth is that if we have a gospel of a life built on Christ, it's not very sexy. Come to church, have a relationship with Christ, have him built in your life. Where's the selling point? I tell you what, I'm not bad at selling, but that's quite hard to sell on its own. Stop sniggering, Don. (laughs) If people just took it and say, this life of Christ in you, the hope of glory is what's going to hold you. It's funny, in this generation in which we live, it seems to be not the message that people want. So we put other things in the way. We go, come and see our worship team. We have got the fantastic smoke. I I think it was Pastor Tony and Nicky was telling us that they went to an exhibition. Was it early in the year or late last year in, in London? Big exhibition. And it was the laser shows, the lights. It was boys toys on steroids. Everything was going great. The smoke machines, everything. And they said their biggest customer was the church. It wasn't even the entertainment industry. It wasn't even the local working man's club or you've got something going down. All the lights, the lasers and stuff were brought in because when there is no presence and no glory, we have to fill the hole with something else. But he turns around and says, it was even like this morning as pastor's been leading us, he's taking us up to take us in because he wants to fill the hole. Because the sexy bit is him. It's not caught up in an environment. It's not caught up with just emotion. It's not caught up even with um, an experience as we come around. It's finding out who he is and it's how he wants his whole life to be represented in you and I. Now, there's a term that we're going to use. and Maybe we'll use it more and more. And that is we can no longer have substitutes. No more substitutes. We've replaced God with everything else. And we've lived lives so low on the kind of uh, pecking order that when we've had nothing, we've kind of said, at least if we get a little bit, then that's all right. We'll just settle for where we are. Illustration of this. If I have a bottle of Vimto now, so I have a full bottle of Vimto, and I pour two inches of Vimto into a glass, add a little bit of water, and you knock that back, you go, that's a bit strong, that Vimto. My teeth have just fell out when I've had a drink, but don't worry, it tastes all right. There's the taste of Vimto. Now, what happens is, if I take that glass and then pour it into another glass, half it, and put some water in and let somebody taste it, it's still Vimto, but it's not as strong as the first one. And then I repeat that, and I repeat that, and I repeat that. At the end, you end up with a slightly tinged water that we tell everybody's Vimto. Vimto. But do you know what? We'd be up in the trade standards, wouldn't we? By saying, look, you're breaking all the rules here. That's not Vimto. It has to be a certain degree. In the church, the church has been living on an empty Vimto. It's had coloured water when God says, everything I've got for you is ready. It's all lined up. All I'm looking for is that you start to build the Christ. And as we start to build the Christ, we're going to see so many things changed. You see, the reason Pastor said last week about losing the power, why do we realise that we lose the power? And he talked about the, the power of the battery and the electrodes and how it all works. And of course, there was Julianne. She knew everything that he was talking about. All the fellas were scratching their heads going, that's why I just have a garage down the road. I don't need to know. All these bits. If we understand the process of what separates us from him, we can move forward at such a rate. But the great thing is, like I've said right at the beginning, it's for every single one of us. It's not for the ones and twos. It's all of us start to move into something. See, if we lose the power, then we need to get realigned. Now, our Dan tells me, and I, and I can assure you, Apprentice Dan thinks he knows everything, but he doesn't. We've come up with a new thing. Yeah, it's called the the DNB Diploma. So it's the d- diploma in Dan knows best. Okay. So, in the diploma of Dan Knows Best, where, of course, he graduated with flying colours, he got A-stars and everything on his diploma, he looked at some bits. But where his own car, and this was what Pasatonia passed on to last week, where his own car was concerned, the basic things that he would tell you to look in your car, he didn't look at his. So, it was like, well, don't you just want to check that the connection's right? You just want to check that your battery's still okay? Do you want to do those bits? And when he found out it was something simple on his car and he'd just give it a kick because he'd been really stupid, that's the diploma of Dan Knows Best. Now, the thing is, we've found out in life, there's many of us with the diploma of Dan Knows Best. We're just experts in certain areas that other people aren't. Unless you're like me and I've got a diploma in everything, according to Ange. According to Ange, Phil, it can never be wrong. And we know, we know that's not true. Darling, publicly, I admit, I can be wrong. It was 1977, a Thursday, about half past two. No, but you see, it's all about the the, the part of changing life. In this process of going through the cross, we come to the cross, go through the cross to see the changes applied. Christ became what we are so that we can become what he is. Now, remembering, as Pastor was saying before, even when the, the word of the Spirit came to us, he said the God of Moses is still the same God today. He's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He sees the end from the beginning at any time. He can step in on his timeline and address us, arrest us, and lay hold of us. So he doesn't see any difference. So when he sees you, he wants to see Christ. When he sees me, he wants to see Christ. In John chapter 1 and verse 12, there's a very powerful verse there. It declares this. But as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God, even to them who believe on his name. He gave them the power to become. Church is carried along with the power to do. We miss the power to become because he gets established inside of our lives. But yet, in the power to become, we still need the power to do. You know, like when James tells us that faith without works is dead. It's the same as this. We need the power to become. But in that power to become, our lives can be transformed, changed, and we do what he wants us to do. We are what he wants us to be. Amen. But I'll give you the challenge this morning. The biggest challenge in my history of being around church for too many years The history of being around church is this, and I'll be really honest, and again, this is the yardstick I use with me before I use it with you. But I believe it to be true is that when I come into the life of church, I find people don't really change, they learn to adapt. So when they come into church, we have a salvation experience of I find Jesus Christ as my Savior and I declare Him as Lord. The rest of it we make up as we go along. So I learn to adapt. I learn to say the right thing at the right time. When I'm in worship, somebody says, raise your hands. So I raise my hands. Don't know why I'm doing it, but I'll just raise them. Somebody says, now it's time to press in. So I'll press in. Somebody says, turn up to prayer and fasting. I turn up. We learn to adapt into our environment and fit where we are rather than having that entire change worked in and through our lives. Would you say that's a fair comment? Again, I'm only talking about me. I'm not talking about you. But we find that we adapt. What he wants to do is once and for all, lay hold of our lives, grab us by the bootlaces, and drag us to that place called finish. If he says, look, this is it. You're the ones we are chosen. This is where we're going. I'm going to make it work in you. Because again, if we remember the scripture, he said, when he could swear by nothing else, he swore by his own name. He says, I've laid the promise on you. I have bought you with a great price. I tell you, all of my investment is in you, and I'm going to get a return. I am going to get a return. Now, if it kills you, I'm still going to get a return. Right? Because I'm going to take you from here to here. Whether you're kicking and screaming. I saw one of those wonderful illustrations a few weeks ago in the supermarket of the mum who decided I'd had enough. And the kid was screaming and mum just walked down the aisle with a kid's arm, with a kid lying on the floor... Just ignoring everything, life just went on. The kid will be going where it's going. It wants to stop at the sweet bit. It wants to stay where all the toys are. But mum goes, no, we're going to the frozen freezer. That's all we're doing. We're getting fish fingers. And the kid's being dragged along. God says, on this journey, you can come with me walking and smiling, or I can grab you by the arm and we're still going. Do you know that? You see, because it's great. We have this wonderful picture that God's love, which he is. But you know that he also says those he loves, he chastises, he disciplines, which means you're going to get the furry side every now and then. But God is dealing with us because he wants the Christ to be formed. There is a true fact that comes through. It's called the 21st century illiteracy. And Pastor Tony alluded to it last week. It is the inability to learn, unlearn and relearn. Because we get so entrenched in the way that we think, we're so entrenched in just what we believe, that we don't allow things to move us anymore. Somebody can come and say something, and we start to switch, switch off because we go, I've heard that before. We forget about the truth coming to us and how it lays hold of us, but we just kind of let things wash over us. And we're all guilty of those things. In 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 12, it declares this. Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them or uh, although you even know them, you have been established in the truth, which is present. You are being established in present truth. In the body of Jesus Christ, we're being established in present truth. What we want to do is try and hold on to everything that was always of yesterday. What did this person say? The history books we read of 200 years ago. What is God saying today? Now we use different terms. We talk about the preceding word. How God's speaking to us. How he ministers to the house. What's the word to the nations? What's the prophetic word that's being said? There has to come a time when we're willing to allow allow ourselves to be upgraded. Do you know that? We've got to be upgraded. If somebody said to you, you were going on your holidays tomorrow and you're there off to Florida and somebody says, Pat, you're looking very smart this morning. You look very good. I like your hand luggage. We have decided free of charge that we're going to upgrade you to business class. What would be your response? I think there might be a yes going there. If you go to hire a car and they said, uh, dog, you hired a little uh, Ford Fiesta, but we've decided to give you the uh, Audi Quattro instead. And don't worry about it. We're not even going to give you the uh, fuel difference. We'll pay it. You're going to be quite happy that somebody's going to give you better. You go to your hotel and you're thinking, there it is. I've just booked on LightRooms.com, And I thought I was going to the travel lodge and you got there and it was the Hilton. And they said, why don't you take the bridal suite? Is any one of us going to complain? Well, why do we have trouble when God says, I'd quite like to upgrade you? Then we go, oh, upgrading must come with a cost. And then we get that, you know, buyer's remorse? You know what the class is, buyer's remorse, don't you? Buyer's remorse is you buy something off dawn, you get home, (laughs) and then you regret it. No, buyer's remorse is this. Buyer's remorse is classed as this. is that you go and you're really giddy. Maybe you're in a store or something And that, we've all had it, it's not just a lady thing, it's a man and woman thing. You go in the shop and you go, my life will not be complete unless I've got one of them. And I don't care how much it costs, because it's a gadget and it's a widget and it's shiny, for anybody who may be not too far away, or even your little dongle that Uncle Steve didn't make. You've got all of these things that come along, and then you decide, this is my life. This is it. This is the missing piece. So you buy it, you get home, you sat on the bus, or you're in the car, you can't wait. You get it home, you sit on the sofa, you open the box, and you go, what the heck did I buy that for? (laughs) When am I ever going to use a pineapple kiwi splitting fruit cedar with four vitamin separators that will break down into its various compartments that I can then use to recycle my cat's litter <laughs> Whatever we do, we buy things and have buyer's remorse. God turns around and says our life in him should never be about regrets. When he, t- when he taps into us, he pulls us through. But we get, myself included, we get so... Um, Caught up in just the way that we've been taught in the past or what we hold on to. It becomes so precious to us and it becomes a sacred calf. The sacred calf that we're not willing to do anything with. But you know what God says about sacred calves? Let's burn them. It's time for barbecue. But this is the thing. Talking about upgrading truth. In Acts 19 verses 2 to 7 says this. Paul speaking. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you were baptised? And they answered, no, we've not even heard of the Holy Spirit. That's quite a big step up, one would think. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? We received John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one that was coming after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them... The Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues, and they prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. Now, here's the question. The person who told these people, who led them to faith in the first place, did he try to hoodwink them? Did he try to lie to them? Did he try to deceive them? All he did was bring the revelation that he had at that moment. And the revelation he had at that moment was the very best he could bring. But Paul comes along and says, whoa, hang on a minute, you've got John, you don't even know about Jesus, and you've never even heard of the Holy Spirit, so let's get these things in order. Now that's the point, that's talking about upgrading truth. When we're being upgraded in truth, it doesn't matter where you've come from, your background, if you've been in another church before, it's not a case of let's dismantle everything that's gone before, let's put down everything that's gone before, some of the stuff we have is absolutely great. Some of the stuff we were taught in in brethren churches years ago, I kind of think, how did I even make it over the start line? Never mind anything else. You know, it was all about, right, brother, you've been saved a week. Now, let me tell you about the uh, blood of the uh, red heifer sacrifice. Am I right there, Pastor? The blood of the red heifer sacrifice, and it's the powdered blood that's sprinkled in a certain way that will deal with a certain kind of sin. That helped me an awful lot at being 17 when the hormones were racing. Somebody telling me that I needed the blood of a red heifer sacrifice was really going to help me. See, but it's about truth being upgraded. And if we're upgraded in truth, that's how we move from one degree of glory to the next but when something comes up, I call them either speed bumps or uh, a stone in your shoe. These elements of truth that I'm willing, I've made my private baby. And nobody can ever challenge me about that. Again, it's, if you take uh, Pastor Tony, he only told a story a few weeks ago that when he was in Malaysia. And Dr. Jonathan talked about the second coming of the Lord. And he was like, whoa, 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 Jonathan, I like you. But you better start reversing right now. Because you're now, you're touching holy ground. You're speaking about something that I thought I understood completely, and you've just put a complete spin on it. And I do believe Hand, Andy had a very similar experience. Trust me, if you go to Malaysia, every one of you will have an experience that goes, I've come out of day two, and I'm asking myself the question, am I a Christian or a Hindu? I've not quite made my mind up yet. I'm a saved, I'm on some kind of journey, I don't know. Because the many things that we just take as being for granted, verbatim, this is it, this is where it was. But it was never established on the Christ. It was never built on Christ. See, if there's not a pattern, then why do we declare, it, declare it's him? Now, it's not my job to make social statement this morning, but I'm going to make a social statement. Because it's not right. Because it affects all of us. If we saw the Manchester Evening News this week, we saw the Victory Christian Fellowship down from Bellevue. Now, what's on the front of the Manchester Evening News, how you can buy divine healing. So you buy divine healing and how it is, very simple. The pastor no longer prays for you because that's too easy. That's called Bible. Eh? In fact, if you go to James chapter three, it says, and if any man is sick, call, uh, have him to call the elders. They will lay hands on the sick and the prayer of the righteous man, powerful and effective. You receive your healing. Yes. No, that's not the way it goes anymore. We have a bottle of Vimto and we have a bottle of olive oil and 14 pounds. Don't forget the 14 pounds. And for these two things that you can purchase, the pastor will pray for the bottle. Church, the pastor prays for the bottle. You drink the olive oil and you drink the Vimto so many times a day. And this is the miracle cure for cancer. HIV, full-blown AIDS, and everything in between. But the pastor can no longer pray for you, but he can pray for the oil and the Vimto that you must purchase from the church. Is that the pattern? And this is why the church loses its power. It compromises in so many ways. You see, what happens is this. We get so used to having nothing that there's always a reason why it was my fault something didn't work. So it's never the pastor's fault, and it's never God's fault. It's always your fault. So there's Pat. She comes forward, and she's sick. And she says, I'm really sick. Can you pray for us? So we pray for her, Pat, and we go for it. And we do everything. Calagasita, alavashande, chandelier, chandelier, chandelier. And we go for it, really big style. And we say, are you feeling better? She goes, no. And we say, Pat, that is down to your lack of faith. And we walk away. Or oh, Pat, there must be some unforgiving sin that you've got in your life that stops anything that I can't do coming to you. It's the way that we do it. We pass the blame around everybody else. But the truth is, is that this glory that he's got for us and this power that we said is for every single individual. We've tried to find so many ways to say why it doesn't work. And our expectations of coming to him, coming into church, keep down there. Because if you keep the expectation really low, nobody's going to be disappointed. We set the standard so low that nobody's disappointed and so low that everybody gets in. Yeah. Yeah, everybody gets in. We never have a God that convicts you of sin. We never have a God that turns around and says you've got to deal with your life. It doesn't matter about the choices you make. It doesn't matter about the journey that you're on. As long as we get there in the end, we're all there on the same bus. That's not his pattern. We have to see how we receive that truth. Now, I'll skip over this really, really quickly because we'll deal with this on another day at another time. But truth comes to us in different ways. I'll fly through these. If somebody wants a full list later, that's fine. I'll give it to you, but I think we'll deal with it again. Truth comes. The reception of truth is how we receive it. Number two, the perception of truth. How we piece together what God is saying. Number three, the revelation of truth. My spirit is refreshed and inspired. I'm going to go too quick, so it's probably um, not even worth you trying to write these down. The resolution uh, resolution of truth. That's when the message lays hold of me and gets my full attention. The conclusion of truth. That's I get a renewed mind. The confirmation of truth. We're willing to choose the way that will move us forward. The committed to truth is the devotion to the truth received in our spirits. The application of truth is applying what we believe. The assimilation of truth is we form the habits that will cause our life to move forward. The transformation of truth. The habit now becomes so evident it's part of my life. The revolution of truth. Is A kingdom lifestyle is now establishing me. I have an accurate pattern that people can follow. And the impartation of truth is I can multiply that life in the life of somebody else. But we go, well, it's just truth. No, there's so many facets. Pastor Tony again said last week, let's try and find out what stops the power flowing. How do we receive truth in the first place? Well, it's only Pastor Tony said that last week. Well, he's still on his soapbox. He's been on this same subject now for the last three weeks. So, and we switch off. How do we receive the truth and becomes part of our lives? We need to remember that Christ is the truth in himself. He said, I am the, the way, the truth, and the life. It is the spirit of Christ that he's trying to get hold of us. Jesus is the gateway to the Father. Outside of that gateway, nothing's going to work. You know, Jesus turns around and he declares this. Let's play with your thinking just for a moment. Jesus turns around and says, if anybody has seen me, they have seen... Is that Bible? Would it be fair to say, would it be fair to say this morning that if anybody has seen you, they have seen the Christ? Because if he is the head and we're the body... Surely there should be some kind of resemblance going on here. That if they see us, they see him. Jesus says, when they see me, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. If you've seen me Phil, this morning, you should be able to see the Christ. And in the Christ, we see the father. Are we the kind of representation that he wants? Now, we're not trying to beat ourselves up this morning. We're asking basic questions because guess what? I believe we're a church of power. I would believe we're a church that's going to lay hold of him. We're going up to go in and be never the same again. See, because this whole thing of when we're talking about Zion and we're declaring things, it is not a move. It's not a moment. It's the Christ being established in you and me. It doesn't dissipate. Zion is not a phase. Zion is not a fad. We're not going to turn around and say in six months time, forget Zion. We've had Zion now. Because in Charismania, we went through all the bits. Oh, did you do this? And did you have the dancing? Did you have the person with the ribbon? Nick used to be our gold medal winner in the uh, ribbon, ribbon dancing tournaments. We had all of the bits that went through Charismania. And you saw it, it went from house to house. Then you'd have the person with the banner. They'd run around with a flag and they'd wave it. Did anybody ever go to church? Have you been to church before? You had all of these things that went from place to place. Yeah, And they were very faddish. We went once to a a Bible camp and it was there and everybody walked around with a stick. And you went, why why has he got half a branch? And you saw people like kids of teenagers with the biggest thing, two hands dragging it around. They just ripped it off a tree. So what's that for? Ah, this is my prayer staff. What? Prayer staff? (laughs) It was mad. (laughs) It's craziness. But the fads that come around, Zion is not a fad. It's having the Christ established. It's coming to the place where he just breaks out. Amen. You know, the thing is for us. We want to see power so badly at times we don't care where it comes from or how it comes. Charismania at times gave us some of the most dangerous misuses of power that we can register. Do you know why? Because there were lives that were never formed in the Christ. They had people who moved in gift. And if I am in gift, but the Christ is not formed, I'll misuse you. I'll abuse you. I'll push you into corners. When Christ says, here it is. If you get the Christ formed in you, it's the safest place to be. It's amazing. We get saved in six months. Within six months, we've been baptized. We've been through the foundation course. I've been filled with the Holy Spirit. We've been taught how to prophesy. And that's it. I can take the world. It's amazing. God took 30 years to build the Christ. We take three months and go, boy, you've got a fantastic communication gift. So we're going to allow you Sunday morning to speak to all of these people, bring everything that you've learned, bring all of your tapes that you've got, get everything that you've learned on YouTube, bounce it all across. But the Christ is never seen. Remember what we said before, the one thing that the enemy can't counterfeit is a changed life. But we'll push through. Not that we can't have power. It's just that that power has to be handled correctly. Now, I'm not an electrician, but I do know the process, and the process is this. If you put in your shower or another device, it has a thing called an earth wire. And if you don't earth that wire, when water drops on the electric, if there's a slight shot, you're going to light up like a 100-watt bulb, because you need to be earthed. We need the power, but the power has to be handled and brought into relationship with the Christ. Amen? Now here's the thing, if we push lives forward with power and saying, right, that's it, we're prophesying, we're laying hands on the sick, we're doing all the stuff, but the Christ isn't established, it won't be long before you meet your match. You'll get so far down the line, and then you'll meet your match. Now, I'm just going to quote the scripture for you, it's Acts 19:12 up to verse 16. That story there is the sons of Sceva. And it says, and the seven sons of Sceva came out to a man who was possessed. Seven to one. It's the magnificent seven in reverse. So the seven come out. They were sons of the high priest. They come out and they start to try and deliver this man. They say, in the name of Jesus, we buy you, spirit. We cast you out. And this man rises up and goes, let's just hang on a minute. Just read the scripture. It's quite funny when you read it. Not for them. But he turns around and says, Jesus, I know. And I know about Paul, but who are you? So there's these guys who decided, we've watched everybody else do this. This power bit must be pretty easy. And they start, they try to deal with the spirit. And when they start to deal with the spirit, it says the man rose up. Gives him a good hiding, read the scripture, it turns around and says, and they fled into the street naked and bleeding. That's when you start to meet your match. Because gift will take you so far, and then somebody challenges you. The flip side, we was hearing this story just uh, earlier in the year, um, from Dr. Tundi Bikara, his spiritual father was uh, Dr. Samarol. Tells a story of being on a missions trip in the Philippines. And when he's in the Philippines one night, he's in bed. This spirit comes into his room and attacks him in the room, busts up the room. And he just gets out and he turns around and challenges the spirit. says, you foul spirit, be gone. Things gone. Then he stops. Spirit, come back. The spirit comes back to the room. He says, put my bed back. (laughs) There's a difference. See, that, even us talking like that, is a completely different world, isn't it? You know, we've just gone to Hollywood now. We're in Hollywood. But all of these things are are part and parcel of agents of change. See, without, again, trying to major on it too much, I'm just going to make a comment. Again, when we remember pattern, because it's the pattern that will help us move forward. We turn around in the area of deliverance, and we say where deliverance is concerned... Sorry, Pat, it's you again. Yeah, yeah, you got upgraded. (laughs) There's Pat, and Pat's got a spirit. And she comes, and and we go, well, we feel that Pat's got a spirit, blah, blah. We're going to help Pat with his spirit. And we say, right, Pat, now here's your checklist. You must uh, first denounce the spirit, denounce its activity on your life. A bit of prayer and fasting might help. And we have all of this checklist of how we're now going to minister with Pat. Then we come forward, right, Pat, this is it. You foul spirit. Oh, no, no, I'm staying. What's your name? Brian. Oh, no. All this comes through. Nothing changed. And the problem is we go, Pat, that is still down to you, not willing to let this go. It's down to you. You don't want to let this familiar spirit out of your life. Those who's been around church long enough know what I'm talking about. Yeah. It's funny because when I saw the pattern in the New Testament from Paul, all of the apostles and especially the Christ, nobody had to agree with anything. I turn up, it leaves. So I carry the Christ and I walk in. Pat goes, Brian, gone. See you, Brian. I know that sounds funny. I don't want to try and just be flippant with it. But it was a case of when you come, something had to leave. And I didn't need your agreement. See, the Christ, it was like, Jesus would walk into a room and they, they turn around and say, don't torment us now, where do you want us to go? They're not trying to hide, they're just getting out of the way. Why? Because it's what you carry. It's what's in you. You know, the whole thing is this. This is really the key where I wanted to maybe hang my hat this morning and we'll pick up another time. It was from Ephesians 5 and verse 8. It says, for you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. This is the key. And find out what pleases the Lord. If we can start to live lives that are going to find out what please him, what a difference it'll make. Now, I'll help you with your checklist, okay? Your checklist is really easy. Does he want the people of righteousness? Does he want the people of holiness? Does he want people who are worshippers? We worship in spirit and truth, don't we? Does he want people who are going to be upright in their communities? Does he want people who are going to bear fruit? Right, so we know all that. So that's class's basics. They're the basics of what he's looking for. What he's looking for, more than anything else, is that the darling of heaven is going to be built in your life. He gave everything for the christ to come die in the form of a man so that you and i and be resurrected again so that you and i could be made whole in him so when he looks at you he wants to see the return on his investment he wants to see the christ formed and if he sees the christ formed the Christ formed will be a people of righteousness. They will be worshippers. It doesn't become, oh, should I be a worshipper today? It's what you are as your nature because the Christ is already being established. Does that make sense? read this story just a couple of weeks ago. The story was this, was uh, from Spurgeon. And he said he went to see one of his parishioners one day and he went in and there was a lady who lived in a house made of old wooden boxes. And she had this house of old wooden boxes, and she was dying of malnutrition. And he went in to see her, and it was almost literally to give the last rites, to pray for her and just see her off to be with the Lord. And when he went in to this situation, he saw this lady, and the family were telling how that she'd been a housekeeper to this big family, and she'd been there for years and years, but she'd retired and left, and she got too old, couldn't do the job. And Spurgeon turned around, and he looked, and on the wall was a piece of paper. And he said, what's, the, what's that? And they said, oh, they gave us that. They gave us that when she left. But no one in her family or, or anybody she knew could read. And he said, do you mind if I investigate it? They said, no, take it. So they took it. He prayed for the woman. When he takes it and looks, she'd be given a legal document that had been a house finance, food and everything to keep her and her family for the rest of her days as a thank you for the way she'd looked after the family but the inheritance nobody could tap into because nobody told them for you and I, we're great because he tells us he says all of this stuff, you can have it as a pipe dream if you want you can always say it's always for the special ones over there or you can turn around and say that whole thing about being an agent of change that means me The whole thing about being somebody who can encounter God, that means me. Because guess what? I'm looking at an awful lot of faces here. It was in the last building in the spirit. I saw people start to encounter the spirit of the living God. That when you came into obedience, things changed. Now I hope that you're just as hungry now as you were on that night. That fear was broken. You got up. I mean, you saw people. It was like the January sales down there. And again, I'm not trying to be flippant. Of people chasing the mic. I've got something to say. Give it it, And they're trying to declare. And they're making stuff. Don't get all caught up in the chaos of what seemed to be going on. God's word that night was, it's about the power of voice and declaration. It doesn't matter if everybody didn't hear. and they'd, It was about you and God. It wasn't, well, should I weigh that one up? I don't need to weigh it up. It was about you and God, how you're breaking things through. The power of the voice. Final scripture, and then we're out of here. It says this. It's a scripture we've used quite a lot recently, but in Psalm 84. how blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is the highway to Zion. Passing through the valour of Baca, they make it a spring. The early rain also covers it with blessings. They go from strength to strength, every one of them who appears before you in Zion. There is a time of appearing, not church attendance. We are appearing this morning. This morning, we appeared before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That every day when I appear, he looks at me and says, Veronica, you're more like my son today than you was yesterday. Without being too personal, we've got the situation where we've got little Ruby who lives in our, our lives at the minute. But now you've got, you're a bit older, you're a bit wiser, maybe you've got a bit more time. Whatever reason it is, we recognise that this baby that turned up on week one, To the baby that's now in week nine, does stuff at week nine it didn't do at week one. Is that is that too complicated? And now we find out it's things like, I'm trying to turn over. I'll look at you and I'll smile if you smile. If you stick your tongue out, she'll give it a it's the bits they try and follow. Why am I saying that? I'm saying it because God doesn't expect you to be the one on the Mount of Transfiguration next week. Every day he wants to look and say, the more like the Christ today, the more like the Christ. He's more like my son today. They started to make the change. They're starting to apply. And he applauds from heaven. He loves it. He smiles. You know, you can imagine him pointing out to the grandstands of heaven going, Veronica's trying to walk. (laughs) She's giving it a go. Just in that kind of understanding of the baby and you're growing. In all of it, the power that God wants, pastor so rightly put it last week about some of the things that stop us from moving forward. If we understand what stops us. We can all move forward and lay hold of him. Amen. But we're coming to the place of having the present truth. Is there more truth to come? Yes there is. But if I get established in him. And I get established in what he's saying. get Lay hold of his preceding word. As the situation was with Mary. She didn't understand it. She said let it be unto me. As you've said. God starts to come to you. There's so many things that we could say from this point, but we're not going to. The more is the key is this. If you start to live your life with a desire that says, build the Christ more in me, you will see things change. You'll see things change quicker than you ever thought before. We'll see the house change in nature, in shape, in number. Everything will change when the Christ is formed. But it's the one thing that people say, don't have the Christ Get a light, get a smoke machine, and get a sexy band. I say blow the band, blow the smoke machine, let's have the Christ. Amen. Come on, let's stand to our feet. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. For more information, go to www.thedreamcentre.co.uk.